0: Thanks for tuning to Digital Voices Podcast, where we chat digital transformation, challenges and opportunities across healthcare
1: and life sciences. And now your host, Ed Marks. Hey, we're going to jump right in today. We're doing voices of the provider CEO. So we've had a couple of CEO guests in the past, and it's always great to get their perspective on all things digital as well as an advisor. So our guest today, as you'll come to learn, has both been a CEO of some pretty heavy systems, as well as an advisor to digital companies. So this should be really, really interesting. So Dan, we've had a couple of our CEO guests. You know, What are one or two things that you really enjoy when we have a CEO guest on board?
0: I mean, I just enjoy hearing all the experience, um, you know, because I'm so young in my professional career. And just hearing about how they got to the position that they're at is always just so incredible to me. And it's always blows me away. It's not how I usually would think it would be. It's always they jump here, jump there. And um, it's really just inspiring to meet so many CEOs and have this opportunity.
1: Yeah, I love it as well. I'm always learning myself. And it's always great to hear other s- stories because a lot of times you could take their lessons learned and apply it to your own life. So Steve Hansen is our guest today. I've known Steve for, man, Steve, how long has it been? 2007, I think.
0: 14 years.
1: Yeah, so that's 14 14. years. And I met Steve because he hired me. So he's the person responsible for bringing me to Texas, which I've stayed ever since 2007. So I still remember our interview. And I remember asking Steve some questions. Of course, he asked me a lot of questions. And I just felt like, wow, this is going to be really great. And in fact, we did some pretty cool things while together at Texas Health where the IT was already pretty good. So that was kind of nice. I had gone from a organization where the IT wasn't very good and then together with the team worked really hard to make it good. And in this case, we were going from good to great. And so that was really, really nice. And Texas Health, of course, is a great, great organization, still doing wonderful things in the community around uh, Dallas-Fort Worth. Uh, Steve, as you'll hear, has been a CEO at a couple different places, and then uh, currently an advisor to a lot of digital startups. So, so thrilled to have you, Thanks for being here.
0: Thank you, Had pleasure to reconnect with you.
1: Light? Yeah, for sure. And Steve, one thing we always ask our guests, because perhaps the most interesting part of the show, <laughs> is what's your favorite music, right? What's, what kind of music do you like to listen to?
0: Well, I've always had eclectic tastes, Ed, but right now I'd really try to focus on current music. And I just downloaded this week new albums by Rodney Crowell and Leon Bridges, different kinds of music, but very enjoyable both. I still love classic rock, and I'm particularly focused right now on the earlier version of Genesis with P- P- when Peter Gabriel was oh, in the yeah. band. Just some fascinating stuff from the early to mid 70s, creative, way ahead of its time. And of course, Peter did well on his own as did Genesis afterwards, interestingly. And finally, I still love classical music of all types, particularly anything related to Beethoven. So in a given week, I'll try to mix all three types of music and uh, it makes for some great listening.
1: And if I remember correctly, didn't your daughter, did, was, isn't she like play classical music?
0: Well, my older daughter teaches uh, music in no. a school near Denver. And our younger daughter, who's now a student, college student, has been playing violin most all of her life. Yeah,
1: that's so what I a heard. A lot of
0: my family, both sides are musicians. I chose, I do, I dabble in music personally, but some of my uh, folks in my family are actually professional musicians. Yeah. yeah there's there's a, a connection with all types of music.
1: Yeah, no, that's awesome. So tell us, Steve, a little bit about your passion or life mantra, sort of, you know, what what is your life's message, if you will?
0: Well, Ed, I got started both with my career and my family when I was 21. And so I really tried to focus on three things throughout my entire work life and now in in my semi retirement mode, I guess I would call it. And the first is family and friends. The second is uh, work, particularly the strategy piece of healthcare, as I'll describe in a moment. And with my background, I just fell in love with healthcare and the strategy part of it, and I've never lost that love to this current date. And third, I've always had an element of spirituality in my life. With my many moves, I didn't always belong to a formal, organized church, but there was always a, a spiritual undercurrent to everything I did. So friends, family, uh, work environment, healthcare strategy, underlined by a strong spiritual commitment.
1: Yeah, and you couple that with the music, it uh, makes a very well-rounded uh, life for sure, very rich. So yeah, let's jump right in. Steve, tell us a little bit about yourself, your your career, how you got to where you went and what you're doing now.
0: I'm happy to. Interesting timing because this weekend I celebrate my 48th anniversary in healthcare. I began right out of undergraduate, but I was uh, born and raised in, I was born in Niagara Falls, New York, but I was raised in and near Iowa. My dad worked for John Deere, and so uh, we moved around about every several years. And when I was very young, uh, teenage years in fact, I wanted to make a career in city planning. Not sure exactly how I got to that, but it was based on a number of trips we made from our locations in Eastern Iowa to the city of Chicago. So I entered uh, Iowa State University, which had a major in urban planning at the time, And I was one of three entering freshmen, late 60s. And when I graduated, there were about 50 or 60 in the major. So it gained a lot of uh, popularity or notoriety in the time I was there. As luck would have it, my very first job was at a Council of Governments in my hometown of Waterloo, Cedar Falls, Iowa, as the area health planner. A lady had been in that position, had just left. So I was doing some city planning, but I was responsible for a health planning council with a board of doctors, hospital administrators, nursing home folks, public health folks, and uh, other types of people in the healthcare profession, as well as community leaders. And so I was basically 21 reporting this board and I was hooked on healthcare. I knew I wasn't gonna stay in city planning anymore. I love the, the people, I love the terminology. I liked the fact that it was helping patients even though I didn't have a clinical bone in my body. And I love the equipment. That was back in an era when we had to decide which one of four hospitals in a county of 150,000 would get a CT scanner, which today is, of course, more than commonplace, but that was was the mid-70s. I was advised by wise people to get a master's degree to advance in the field. I followed that advice. I chose to get a Master of Public Health, a little more general, comprehensive degree than many of my colleagues who got an MHA or an MBA, and I'm very glad I did. I chose Oklahoma because it was one of the premier health planning programs in the country. And I did get a degree in health administration, but with a real emphasis in health planning. Midway through that year, the mid-70s, I had an opportunity to visit the director of planning at Hillcrest Medical Center, a very progressive hospital in Tulsa, Oklahoma. I spent a day with him. And I walked out of there that evening and I told my wife, I said, I'm going to be a planner, but I'm going to work for a hospital. Because I love the idea that not only could you develop plans in a hospital and they were mostly standalone hospitals back then, but you could actually be involved in the deployment, the implementation of those plans. And that's really how I got into the the healthcare executive track, and I don't regret that for a day. Again, as luck would have it, I've been pretty lucky in in Texas, they call it, I've been blessed, I guess, Mm -hmm. uh, to end up as the planner for Methodist Hospital, Indianapolis, 1,103 beds. I counted every one, and it was the 10th largest private hospital in the country, major teaching facility, downtown Indianapolis. And I worked there for three years in planning, loved it immensely. It was like getting a second master's. Then I started to get a hankering for operations because I wanted to be involved more in the implementation of things. So I moved into an assistant administrator role at IU Hospitals in Indianapolis moved on to a COO role in my hometown of Waterloo at the largest hospital, and I was a CEO of 160-bed hospital in Dubuque, Iowa, northeast Iowa, in my mid-30s. In the early 90s, when my children were graduated from high school, I was reading more and more about multi-hospital systems, which are now called health systems. And again, I made a, a decision to take, to take a leap there to uh, be in an operating capacity in health systems in Buffalo, New York, and Chicago, and then had an opportunity to come back to be a CEO of a health system in Appalachian, Kentucky. Uh, I then moved on as a senior executive vice president at Texas Health Resources in Dallas-Fort Worth, where I had the great pleasure and honor of hiring you. And then I got called back to Kentucky, and my last gig, which ended four years ago, was as CEO of the 10 hospital, $3 billion dollar Baptist Health System in Kentucky and Southern Indiana. So I've had a a great career, been a lot of different places, everywhere from New York State, which is the most regulated state in the country, to Texas, where as you know, if you got the money, honey, I got the time, and (laughs) places in between like Indiana and Illinois. Uh, And as you said a moment ago, I've moved the last four years, once I retired from full-time health system administration to starting to advise two types of companies. One are startup or early stage companies that are completely in healthcare. And the second type of company, Ed, are these uh, companies, infrastructure type companies, I'll talk about one later, that are involved in many sectors of the economy and want to have a greater presence in healthcare because they see healthcare as a great area of growth. So I served on an accelerator panel in Louisville, actually ended up serving on the board of one of those startups. No, no longer on that, as an interim CEO of one of the other startups, as a health com uh, out of the University of Louisville. And so uh, today, I'm still very, very passionate about healthcare. I hope I never retire. I want to get to at least my 50th anniversary. But it's, it's great to be able to provide that background because i like I say, I've been very fortunate and been surrounded by great people like yourself and so many others that made the job the jobs very easy for
1: me. Yeah, no, that's, that's super, super impressive. And I know, you know, our audience, Steve is largely chief digital officers across uh, health and life sciences and provider and payer, And they'll be really fascinated to hear your insights based on that experience. And that really reminded me to ask you a couple other things that, you know, based on our producer Dan's comments earlier, and what you just described, you know, a lot of people are thinking when they listen to our CEO guests, like, wow, you know, what, what are one or two things that that were key for them to be successful that i might want to think about myself so this is sort of like off script uh steve this is like what's one or two pieces of advice you would give someone maybe mid career have this exceptional career what are one or two things that really worked well for you well one thing ed
0: and i'm not sure i ever did it as well as i should have and i've been doing a lot more the last four years frankly is always be networking always be networking with your peer and you're you're an expert i've you know i've i've witnessed you over the years i've really marveled at your ability to do that much better than mine but i would suggest even if you plan on staying in a place like a texas health resources your entire career which many people have done it doesn't hurt to network make sure you're touching all the bases within your own company today but reach out to all your peers uh, there's linkedin some people do instagram uh, you know, some folks do Facebook. That's more of a personal thing, not a work thing. There are different uh, areas of connectivity. Join your national associations. I'm not even current on what the, the best ones for chief digital and analytics officers are, but certainly Hims and some of those historically right. have been. And uh, get out there and make your name known. And don't be afraid to post. If you see an article or something on LinkedIn, yeah. just uh, send, you know, share it, forward it. And people yeah. will see that. I, I scroll through the LinkedIn news, not sure if they call that a newsfeed or not, but yeah. you know, the flow of things, yeah, the postings, uh, three, four, five times a week. And I will see things that are posted, to people from the THR, people from Baptist Health in Kentucky, and, and some folks I don't even know. So be sure you network. Number two is, and this shouldn't be a, a too hard for chief <laughs> digital people, because of the field they've chosen, always keep learning. I'm yeah. learning today. I mean. I got the Harvard Business Review This that was just released this summer with all the reprints of how to create digital intelligence in your company. And some of this stuff goes back five or six years, but it's still very relevant. Yeah. And so always keep learning and um, never burn bridges. Yeah. You know, and, and my different people have different philosophies about this, but if you make a mistake, own up to it, apologize as necessary, explain and move on. And try to find... I, I made the choice of moving on many, many times in my career. You did too. In some cases, people are very happy staying at a THR for a lifetime. And yeah. there's nothing wrong with that. Many of my peers have done that. Many have moved on as often as I have. But I would say, not. don't always be looking for another job, but just be aware of the environment out there. And this is such... The, the, the chief digital officers and analytics folks are in such great demand different than when I was even as a young health planner I was relatively unique then but once I became operations and so on there were a lot of us out there but yeah. just be aware of the job market and stay current with everything
1: yeah that there's four or five just really key points I'll just reiterate because they were so good is uh, network some of these you're right Steve are basic but it's funny how even the basic stuff we don't do because we get busy or we think we don't need to do it but you really should do it for the reasons you cited uh, keep learning. You have to be a lifelong learner. Uh, dur- don't burn bridges. Maintain as you know. You got to be. Hum- I always say a leader has to be humble. Uh, don't burn bridges. Say or sorry. Branding. You didn't call it branding, but basically we all have a brand, and if you're not intentional about it, um, yeah. it'll hurt you. And uh, say or sorry. And yeah. And there's times when you move on. So that that's really good stuff. So the other thing that our audience will want to know you being a CEO for such a long time and senior executive, what's some advice for a CIO or CDO working with a CEO? So like if you were to describe some of your best relationships or best practices, what are one or two things you would want CIO, CDOs to know, you know, how to best work with a CEO?
0: Well, are there are a few, a few more, if I can. One is to really nail down the ability to meet face to face with the CEO. Some of these folks don't report directly to the CEO, so there may be a COO or or maybe even a CFO or uh, maybe the CDO reports to a CIO. There may be somebody in between that individual and the CEO, but clarify how often you can meet, ideally face-to-face, even in this virtual world, face-to-face with the CEO. It may be with the the intermediary or not. Number two is, and I think it's uh, very important for these folks to understand the CEO's pain points and pleasure points. yeah, And they're both derived normally from prior experiences. I've had bosses where I was, a, I was not the CEO, and maybe I exhibited some of this myself as a CEO, where I had been burned in the past, sometimes more than once, and those I would call pain points. So learn very quickly what those are, and what you'll, the way to find out is if you bring up a topic and the CEO's face turns bright red, and he or she begins to really drill down into detail, that's probably a pain point, which the pay- person may have faced in a prior life. Uh, and also what makes the CEO happy. There were certain things that tickled me, a, a very satisfied patient or something like that. And it's good to share those things with the CEO. Understand the CEO's vision of the future. I mean, uh, deployment of a digital uh, strategy is all about the future. It's, you know, recreating a company, or at least complementing a company in new ways. Understand the organizational structure the system from the CEO's eyes, both formal, and as you know, informal, as they say, culture strategy, it's the CEO's vision of the culture. Uh, understand the level of the CEO's knowledge about digital. And if there is a gap, which there is probably, I would guess it was with me, how do you fill that gap in a good way? Understand the CEO's, concerns about talent acquisition, because any kind of deployment strategy will require people come from outside the organization with new skills, and likewise, what's the CEO's commitment, his or her commitment to educating the current people? Some of, as you know, at Texas Health, there have been people there, been there for decades. So what's the CEO's commitment there? And finally, with any meeting, I always suggest strongly an agenda, including what the CEO wants, which he may or may not specify, at the beginning but always start with that and then what the cio cdo want to accomplish and then always follow up the day later with a thank you note and just re, uh, you know encapsulating what are the things that they talked about at the meeting and that would really be the fodder ed for the next meeting you always begin yeah. with kind of unfinished business if you would so those yeah. are five or six things that uh, i always enjoyed with folks around me not just cio cdo types but just in general and i hope when i was somebody reporting to ceo i tried to do those same things yeah
1: no this is gold we could uh, stop recording because you know we've we've given so much content already <laughs> steve in the first few minutes so you know we got to p- have people hanging on for more this is really good i i'm not going to repeat them uh, but you laid out way more than six uh really good the only one i want to emphasize because it is a differentiator is saying thank you you know whether it's the a thank you email or a thank you card it, it's a lost art people don't do it I'm telling I'm telling you, and you heard it just now from uh, Steve Hansen, uh, it makes a difference. It's noticed and you'll differentiate yourself in many, many ways. Okay, so let's move on. So uh, let's get an insider look now based on your role as uh, more as an advisor. So we have this great background as CEO, which has set you up to be a great advisor. Uh, and you share, you serve as an advisor to a couple of different companies that you mentioned. Can you talk about those, Steve, in, in any order that you want and sort of, uh, Yeah. Talk about them and and we can take more questions from that.
0: Okay. Uh, I'll talk about the companies, Ed, and then there are a few things that these companies both happen to exemplify that I think are going to be important for CEOs and other decision makers. And I'll kind of combine this a bit, but I really followed two paths now in these last four years since I began moving uh, into a relationship with companies outside of health systems. I still know a lot of my colleagues within health systems. And one is, there is still what I call a built environment in healthcare that's historic. It is the hospitals, it is the major ambulatory centers, it's research facilities. In Texas and other rapid growth areas, there are even new bed towers still being developed in this day and age. And there are uh, major outpatient facilities, for example, my prior system Kentucky's making a huge commitment. So that's very important. And one company that serves the infrastructure needs of that build environment, it's called QMC Telecom, and they do have a website, uh, qmctelecom.com. But basically, the idea is that a Wi-Fi uh, infrastructure is critical to any kind of digital strategy. The situation with Wi-Fi all by itself, as you know, is dropped calls, which make physicians particularly angry lost or delayed data and so what this company does is work with any cellular carrier any health system would like they also work in other sectors of the economy uh, and they've developed these das's distributive antenna systems with any cellular company to complement the wi-fi and the combination of those between a, a robust wi-fi strategy and this distributive antenna system and they can cover a, you know parts of a city major campuses, whatever you like, uh, to provide that kind of support. And that enhances the uh, experience of all the constituencies involved It improves the satisfaction, engagement and so on. It really helps with cybersecurity, as you know, is a continuing problem in all sectors of the economy and all over the world. It relates to HIPAA compliance and so on. And they basically, through these DASs, guarantee coverage. So there's no problem anymore. And um, it's an international company, interestingly, and they are big in healthcare, but not so much in the US, in other countries. They've opened up, I think 12 or 15 new hospitals in the country of Brazil, for example. And uh, they have got uh, $350 million of capital raised. What's very intriguing about them is if some uh, somebody recovering from COVID, some health system wants off balance sheet financing they can do that. And it's a one call, does it all shop. They do the outsourcing. And one of the keys I think with any of these companies, if, if uh, digital and cellular and all those things aren't necessarily core companies of the health system, core competencies, you know, it's that's taking care of patients and doctors and all that kind of stuff. This is an ability to outsource that. And they really let the customer, the health system decide how they wanna run the whole thing. So yeah. it's a great company. What I like best about them, and the reason I signed on, is culture. And they have a great, wonderful corporate culture that would fit nicely with any culture of any health system, at least that I know about in the country. So yeah. that's one company. The that's other
1: huge. part... Yeah, Steve, you... I was going to say on that that, that's a huge pain point in any organization that I've served in and that's why we still had pagers and again i don't want to name i don't (laughs) want to name the companies or health systems i think they all struggle with it still but still have pagers and and one of the reasons was we couldn't get wi-fi signal everywhere and sometimes we were beholden to a single a wireless company for uh, different reasons, and so we. So, if we were with Verizon as an example, and someone came in with AT and T phones, well, they didn't have the same level of right. coverage, which didn't lead to clinician satisfaction or patient satisfaction. So that is a, a big pain point. Yeah, tell us about. So, so as we head to the future, you know, tell us about this other company. Is this. Um, One
0: other point just on that is uh, as people are moving steadily toward 5G at some point, it's going to be more important than ever that there's this cellular infrastructure to support that. The second part, and my true passion in healthcare, probably most of my career is something called remote patient care. And by that, Ed, I mean, when we talk about the built environment, those are situations where patients are still going somewhere else for their care. And my defi- definition of remote patient care, maybe the only one, is my definition, <laughs> is where the care goes to the patient, and it yeah. can be in the home setting. It might be in the workplace. It might be while well, somebody's driving. And there's several elements of that. There's the remote physiologic monitoring. There's health coaching. There's care coordination. There's preventive care. Uh, I've got an Apple Watch on now, and I can check my heart rate which I don't think is too elevated, so this is a very nice situation <laughs> for me, by the way. But uh, there's a company that's called Comprehence, C-O-M-P-R-E-H-E-N-S-E, and their website is Comprehense.com. And because I was contacted about the idea of a company that would integrate all of the infrastructure for the remote patient care I just mentioned, as well as the support for or direct provision of telehealth services, which of course had a you know, an overnight a 10 year overnight success about a year ago, for some reason, I can't remember, I think it started with a C. Uh, and that will continue in our lifetimes, yeah. telehealth in general, telepsych and so on. This company comprehensive can provide that or they can connect if a system already has its own like a teledoc or something yeah. like that. There are other pieces of what I define as remote patient care, any kind of care with a home setting, regular home care, nurses and physical therapists, Urgent Care at Home, Texas Health Resources is doing that. Hospital at Home, Johns Hopkins, Presbyterian Albuquerque, a few others are starting to do that. This company does not provide that direct patient care, but they can provide all the direct, all the infrastructure and support linkage with the smart devices like home infusion and so on. So I was very much intrigued with that. The idea of the company is new, but it's really a merger of two or three other companies that own pieces of this. But the vision of the people, and the reason I signed on, was nobody's that I've seen in the marketplace has an integrated approach to this. And so yep. they're piecing this together. They're linking behavioral health, which is very, very important, as you know, and often overlinks between physiological issues and behavioral issues and so on. Opioid, of course, was a huge problem in Kentucky both times I was there and so on. So we're very excited about comprehensive as well. They are EHR agnostic as is the other uh, company, uh, do you wanna see? Uh, they, they are kind of an outsourcing thing. So one call does it all. So it takes a lot of headaches. I think it's probably a, p- a pain point yeah. to use your phrase with a lot of health systems or will be going forward, has a very positive impact on satisfaction engagement of all the constituencies. Uh, and it's an integrated solution. And again, just a wonderful corpor- uh, corporate culture. These guys and ladies are—they're just fun for me to yeah. work with and talk to. So there are very similar uh, things, uh, criteria between both companies. But to me, they serve the gamut of the traditional built environment, which is healthcare as it is today, and maybe looking back, but also the future, where the care goes to the patient, the customer, and uh, going forward. And of course, I know there are people from payers as well as providers on the call, and there's a lot of opportunity to interface with payers. Uh, call centers, which I'm called, are now called contact centers, yeah. is a core competency of this group and is important and part of any kind of remote patient strategy. So that's yeah. those are just a couple of the exciting companies, and I appreciate the opportunity to speak about each of them. I'm glad to talk in greater detail to any of your audience who would like to.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's very fascinating, Steve. I think it's it's sort of like when we were probably, yeah, around the time of Texas Health, we were one of the first in the country to start Putting in uh, Epic at mass scale in big health systems, and and it used to be that it was all niche applications. So when we implemented Epic, you know, we were displacing a lot of niche applications. I think we're starting to see a lot of that consolidation in the marketplace uh, as well in this company that you're you're referring to, where we had you know hundreds of applications that did all these things clinical, and then we came up with enterprise applications. You know, the Epics, the Cerner's, the Allscripts, the Meditechs and they eventually all became very successful while sort of niche applications uh, went away. And I think we're seeing an early evolution of that as well in sort of remote care where we have, you know, there's billions of dollars being invested right now in a lot of small, small uh, companies, but they only fill one niche. And I think it's gonna be the platforms like like we were just talking about that'll, that'll really survive uh, long-term. It's exciting times for sure. And, and as I mentioned, you know your purview as a as CEO and understanding the nuances of healthcare so well, and then seeing what you can do with these digital capabilities, and you've had IT reporting up to you often in the past, uh, it, it gives you a great uh, intersection for you to have all these insights and help guide uh, these companies. Steve, I always end with one question, and it's really an open-ended question. It could be something we already covered, but going a little bit further, or, or something new that we, we didn't talk about that you wanted to share, but we'd love any uh, final insights that you might have regarding healthcare, digital, where we're headed, You know, whatever, the floor is yours.
0: Thanks, Ed, and thanks so much for this opportunity, and, and uh, uh, look forward to any questions members of the audience might have. To me, the sky's the limit with digital strategy. It's just, we're scratching the surface. And i'm so excited about the opportunities all of the implications of artificial intelligence including ed when when we worked together we always talked in our health systems about making decisions based on data now clinical decisions are usually based on data but the same is not necessarily true for administrative and strategic decisions data is a part of it but there's politics and then everybody's got an opinion but what I see about AI is it was particularly with some of these advanced analytics is truly making database decisions. The whole issue of blockchain, not just the supply chain, which we all faced, probably are still facing, particularly on the medical side, but the implications for that are tremendous. Virtual and augmented reality are starting to really show their opportunity to improve things. For example, in the behavioral health area, chemical dependency and all kinds of things. So. My sense is we're always gonna be in some kind of COVID or similar pandemic, maybe with a small p, for the rest of our lives, because the nature of the world today is this stu- now we're, we're talking about new mask mandates and things like that. That's not going to go away. So the more uh, we can embrace digital tra- transformation, you know, rebuilding these health systems and other sectors of the economy, the better it's gonna be. I really see a tsunami occurring here. And part of it was driven by COVID, but part of this is just this momentum we're gaining toward this whole concept of remote patient care. My parents are both 93 in Moline, Illinois, and they both say they're going to die in that house. And any care they're going to take, I'll tell you, my dad will go to the doctor, my mom normally won't, uh, and if she can at all avoid it. But it's going to be to go to people like that, whether they're 93, yep. turning 70 like me, or you know even other uh, so I'm very excited yeah. about the opportunities digital strategy is clearly the way to go and I'm excited about the health systems that are embracing this ones that aren't and I say embrace it to whatever extent you can because it is the future and oh, it's yeah. not avoidable
1: well there it is you heard it from uh, one of the most highly credentialed sources possible Steve Hansen thank you for being our guest thanks so much Ed appreciate it take care. Hi, this is John Lynn from the Healthcare IT Today podcast. If you like the latest rumors, insights, and happenings in healthcare IT, you'll enjoy hearing my colleague Colin Hung and myself debate and share the latest happenings from the world of healthcare IT. Find the latest episodes or dig into our archive at healthcareittoday.com or search for Healthcare IT Today on your favorite podcast application or YouTube. When it comes to healthcare technology, we love this stuff. And we can't wait to have you join in on the discussion of everything health IT.
0: Thank you for listening to Digital Voices Podcast with Ed Marks. If you enjoyed this episode, subscribe on your preferred streaming service and leave a rating and review. And most
1: importantly, thanks again for listening.